Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, guys, let's dive into God's Word now. We're Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at verse 13 today, and we're talking about temptation. Temptation. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we do have Bibles in the back. If this is your first uh, time with us here at River, welcome. My name is Dustin, and uh, we go through the Word of God verse by verse, and we're in Matthew's Gospel here. So as you turn there, let me, let me do a review from last week. Uh, We continue our verse-by-verse study, and for the last six weeks, really, we've been learning two things, haven't we? We've been learning, number one, how not to pray, and number two, how to pray using the Lord's Prayer as a template. And today, we're going to finish up the Lord's Prayer with the subject of temptation. Uh, Before we dive in, though, let's, let's review from really the last Sunday as we've talked about forgiveness. We had a lot going on with last week's text. Uh, We had eight key points. Let me review those. Number one, we we learned that biblical forgiveness, it means to remove the guilt resulting from sin. We talked a lot about that. Key point number two, we learned that our greatest problem is our sin debt. Therefore, our greatest need is forgiveness. We discussed number three, how forgiveness is the central theme of the Lord's Prayer. And because forgiveness is the central theme, key point number four, we we learn that a forgiven person is a forgiving person. Which leads to key point number five. We talked about how nothing in the Christian life is more important than forgiveness. Nothing. Nothing. Key point number six, we said forgiveness of our daily sins at rest on the indispensable condition of forgiving others first. Key point number seven, we learn that forgiveness is divine and unforgiveness is demonic. And we also talked about key point number eight, which is a life of unforgiveness. It proves that we were never forgiven. Now, after the service last week, several people approached me, and they said, dang, kind of heavy. That sermon was kind of heavy, and it was. You know, truth is heavy at times, and the reason that I hope you're here this morning is to to learn and apply the truth. Uh, We find truth when we study the scriptures like a, a man digs for a buried treasure, takes time, takes a lot of work. God's truth is uncompromising. It is undiluted. God makes no apologies for his word. And as blood-bought, born-again Christians, it is our job to seek and find and apply God's truth. Because the Bible is our standard for life. It is central, right? And, and, 
If we're to the right or if we're to the left of God's word on any issue whatsoever, God's going to bring us a step closer to center. And really center is, is the Father's heart. And when we find that joy, when we find the Father's heart, when we find truth, when we apply it, that joy comes in our lives. However, to find the truth within the scriptures, though, here's the thing. We've got to avoid the temptation to place our opinion on the text. That's the key to handling the holy, is that we're not going to place what we wanted to say on there, right? We are to draw out the truth from scriptures. We dare not make God's word say what we want it to say. Forcing God's word to say things that it doesn't say, guys, that is the worst kind of spiritual abuse. So I give that disclaimer this morning to say this. When we read the word of God by the spirit of God, we will most definitely become uncomfortable at times. Why? Because what God's doing, he's moving us closer to center. He's moving us closer to his heart. Well, today our topic within the Lord's Prayer is biblical temptation. Temptation. I can already feel the, the anxiety start to rise in the room. An Irish poet and playwright, his name was Oscar Wilde, he said this. He said, you know, I, I can resist anything except temptation. <laughs> Isn't that true? Oscar's life was, was tragic. His, his, his death was certainly tragic. Um, and, you know, we also don't have to look far in Scripture to see how God's people are tempted either. No one is immune from temptation, starting with Adam and Eve. We look at, at Moses' life, Abraham, King David, King Solomon. Oh, my goodness. King Solomon. <laughs> Jonah, the apostles. Even Jesus himself was tempted. So we have a lot to learn about temptation today, and I, I pray that the Lord will use this sermon to lead and guide, uh, guide you with your own personal temptations this week, and how to do that biblically. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Clint, I sound a little loud. Can you bring me down just a little bit? I don't want to be screaming at people for no reason. All right, well, we lifted our, our voice this morning as we sang God's, well, worship songs back to God. And I would encourage us now to lift our voice as we, we as, as one body, as the church, as saints, as children of God, we lift our voices as, as we read the scripture. We're going to start on, uh, in verse 5, um, if you would please read with me, the, um, the scripture is going to be on the, on the screens. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. 
Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our... Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses... Your heavenly Father will forgive you as well, but if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And dear friends, these are the very words from the inerrant and the inspired and the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes, Lord, we will praise you with an upright heart when we learn your righteous judgments. We will keep your statutes Please never abandon us. Lord, we, we're here this morning to learn your righteous judgments. We're here with our Bibles open and our hearts soft. And, and we really do want to keep your statutes and your laws. We, we want to learn these things. And when it comes to forgiveness, Lord God, we do pray, as the psalmist prays here, that you will never abandon us, that you won't abandon us in the midst of, in the heaviness of our own temptation. Please show us how to do that today. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right, let's take a look here at temptation. I'm going to start in verse 9 to give us a running start. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That word temptation there is parosmos in the Greek. Parosmos is a fascinating word. The the idea of temptation, the biblical idea of parosmos... It's not necessarily a bad word like when we first think. We hear temptation and we all go, "Uh uh-oh. Well, if you can walk away this morning and you can grasp the significance and the truth of what biblical temptation is and what it is not, guys, this will change your life. It will. So as we begin our study on temptation here, let's start with the, the life of our Lord Jesus. Um. Many of us know that he was tempted by the same things that we're tempted by today. Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, how exactly was Jesus tempted? The Scripture tells us, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That high priest is Jesus. But one, Jesus, who has been tempted in every way as we are, and guess what? He's without sin. So in both of those verses there, Matthew 4.1 and Hebrews 4.15, that Greek word, once again, is parosmos. It's the same one that's being used in the Lord's Prayer. Now, I say this word is fascinating because it's a neutral word. Parosmos is a neutral word. So it brings us to key point number one. Biblical temptation is used in Scripture as either 
a testing for good or a temptation for evil? All right, it's a neutral word. Testing for good, temptation for evil. The root meaning here has to do with a proving ground. So from this proving ground, we get our English words testing, trial, and temptation. So let's start with the first meaning. Let's start with a testing for good. From God's viewpoint, we consider temptation, what we consider temptation, God regards as a test. So James 1.13, he says this, no one undergoing a trial should say, well, you know what? I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anybody. So Jesus, I'm sorry, James uses parosmos three times in that one verse. He says, trial, tempted, and tempt. So, if, if God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone, who are we tempted by? James, in verse 14, he tells us, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. So, this, guys, this is a biblical truth that many of us rationalize away. Many, many times we point the finger at Satan that we, fall, we fell into temptation. Right? The devil made me do it. And this verse teaches us that it is not Satan. Satan is not tempting ordinary people like you and me. He is not omnipresent, meaning he's not everywhere at one time like God. Satan, although yes, he is incredibly powerful, he is still a created being, which means that he can only be at one place at one time. Um, now, there are other times when demons may tempt us, but what the Apostle James is teaching here in this verse is that temptation it comes from within the deep desires of our human hearts. We often put ourselves in situations that we know that we'll be tempted to do something. I know people who have chosen an entire career so they have the freedom to indulge in their sin. And they're not going to walk away from it because they love this game of temptation. So this brings us to the other side of parosmos here, a temptation for evil. So we got quite the dichotomy, don't we? It seems like a contradiction this morning. God views something as a test, and we as humans, we view it as a temptation. So in other words, God is providing an opportunity for us to prove that we are growing in spiritual maturity by offering us a test. But... From our stance and the demonic's viewpoint here, this is a temptation to trap us or to trick us into sin. So either the unredeemed part of us, the unredeemed part of our life, or the demonic, they intend this situation for evil. God intends it for good. So we see the paradoxical theme here in the Old Testament and the New. It's all over the Scripture. Joseph said, said it this way in, in, uh, at the end of Genesis. He's speaking to his brothers, and who are the 12 tribes of Israel, by the way. 
Um, and he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, you know what, guys? You planned all of this against me, evil against me. You planned it. God, however, planned it for good. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things, the good and the bad in life, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So the issue with being tested, the issue with being tempted is that we can't see the difference until we experience the outcome. See, if I pass, if it's a test, and it proves that I'm learning and I'm applying God's word to my life, if I fail, then it's a temptation, which I was enticed by my own desires, and I chose to sin. I mentioned earlier that temptation is not necessarily a bad thing. Why would I say that? Because scripture tells us. James 1, 2. James says this. He says, consider it a great joy whenever you experience various trials, parosmos, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces something, that this test does something to us. Verse 4, he says, let the endurance have its full effect. Why? So that you may, you may be mature. This is how God grows us up. He completes us. He adds things. We're not going to be lacking anything. So the Apostle James here, he tells us how these temptations and these tests are actually a part of God's plan to build spiritual muscle in our lives. It's through temptation. It's through the failures and it's, it's overcoming the winds that God is producing endurance in us. And it's, and it's through the overcoming of these temptations and passing these tests that God matures us. The Apostle Peter, he reiterates this thought, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. He says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, notice that, a short time, not a long time, guys, a short time, you suffer grief in various trials, parosmos. Why are we suffering these various trials? So that the proven character of your faith which, by the way, is more valuable than gold. It may be refined by fire, but your faith is more valuable than gold. It's going to result in something. It's going to produce praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. So throughout the Christian life, God, what he's doing, he's aligning us with what we say we believe to how we act. All of us are off-center of God's word in some form or fashion, especially on some certain issues, uh, until God brings us home. This is a, a constant battle we'll always have. And the primary way of closing this gap from our head to our hearts is through this thing called testing. Now, tests, they've got differing purposes in our lives. Aren't you glad that your doctor passed his test while he was in medical school? Aren't you glad that the people who built your house, they passed the contractor's license? Aren't you glad that your CPA passed his test to handle your, your finances? Aren't you glad that your attorney passed the bar? It's the same thing in the spiritual life. 
God tests us for a reason, and that is to refine us. He doesn't want to keep, we can't stay where we are and walk with God at the same time. God chooses to discover the strength of our character, and he does, he does that through the test. He, you, you can't go around it, right? He does that through it. And as time goes on and we pass test after test after test, God continues to add weight to each one of these tests. And he does that so our results become greater. You look at the results in your own life. If you've been walking with the Lord 10, 20, 30, 40 years, look in the rearview mirror of your life and think about this. You now have a greater awareness of your weaknesses and your shortcomings. Look how fast you confess your sin compared to last year or 10 years ago. Look how, look how much your faith has grown. Also look at this. Look at how your tolerance of sin has also decreased. And then lastly, God also gives us the incredible opportunity to proclaim his truth through the sharing of the gospel. So those are all pretty good examples of, of passing the test, bearing fruit in our lives. So back to verse 13, we are praying, God, don't bring us into temptation. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are we praying that God would not bring us into temptation when he promises through the apostle James that God never tempts us in the first place? Why is he, why are we... That sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? Well, to answer that question, we got to zoom out a, a little bit we're, because we're, we're deep in the weeds here with the Lord's Prayer. Let's remember that this prayer is in the larger context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And one of the, the most significant issues in his sermon, it, it deals with our hearts. It's the same thing here. Jesus is having us face the sinfulness of our own hearts. And our humanistic hearts we want to sin. And we learned last week that we were born sinners. Psalm 51.5, right? I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. We didn't make a choice to sin when we were conceived. We just are sinners. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than anything else. It is incurable. Who can understand it? And then the Lord says this through Jeremiah. He says, I, the Lord, I examine the mind and I test the heart. So when the world tells you to follow your heart, don't do that. That's a very bad idea. <laughs> really bad idea. However, if you have confessed and you have confessed your sin and you've turned from your sin, that's called repentance, right? and you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God, you are born again. You now have eternal life. God has given you a new spirit. He's given you a new heart. Look at this. I love this passage from Ezekiel. God says through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit within you. I'm going to remove your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to place my spirit within you, and I'm going to cause you to follow my statutes, and carefully observe my ordinances. 
Meaning that all of those sinful things that used to give us so much pleasure, those things are now fading away because of our new hearts, because we have the, the Spirit of God living in us. We have been born again. Those things are slowly fading away. And all these things over here that we used to mock, right? All, all those things that we, we didn't want anything to do with God, those things are now attractive to us. Those things are now uh, beautiful to us. So what we're doing is we're turning away from our sin and we're turning and we're running towards righteousness. So as blood-bought, born-again believers, we really do want to avoid sin. But what's the problem? The problem with sin is that it's still within us. God said through Ezekiel, he would give us a new, a new spirit within us. He didn't say that he would immediately take our propensity to sin away. He didn't say that. So as Christians, we now have a raging battle between good and evil, don't we? Before our life in Christ, all we could do was sin. From the moment of conception, we were just like sinning machines. That's all we ever did. But now... God has given us a new heart. We have a choice. We have a new chooser. The Apostle Paul discusses this raging battle in Romans 7. This is so good. He says, you know, the trouble is not with the law. The, the trouble is not with the Bible. The trouble is not with God's word. It's not with scripture because it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. He says, for I am too human, I am a slave to sin. I really don't understand myself. He says, I, I want to do what is right, which is over here, right? But I don't do that. Uh-uh. Instead, I, I go over here and I do the things that I hate. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I, I want to do what is right. I really do. But look at these words, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong. <laughs> but I just do it anyway. He goes on to say, you know what? I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. You can bank on it. And here's the thing, I, I love God's law with all of my heart. I love him. I love his word. I, I, I love what he's done for me. And yet, there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power, it makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In verse 24, he says, oh, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? What a wretched, what a miserable person. I am. Who's going to free me from this life? This one here, this one that I'm living right now that is dominated by sin and death. Who's going to do that? It's not a rhetorical question. Look at verse 25. He says, thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you guys see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am still a slave to sin. I love that passage. 
Because if the Apostle Paul wrote that, dang, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, right? We put this guy on a pedestal. I love the struggle in his voice. He struggled with sin just like you and me. So all that to say this, as we pray through the Lord's Prayer, we are praying that the Lord, and this is key, the Lord will not abandon us in our temptation. So back to the Lord's Prayer. Do not bring us into temptation. I want to avoid it altogether. But if I have to go through this trial and this test, deliver us from the evil one. So as children of God, we do have a new desire. We got a new desire um, and it grows in us very slowly, very painfully. Uh, Verse 13 is about avoiding the danger and the trouble that sin creates altogether. Because as Christians, we now despise sin that much. We don't want to be anywhere around it. It's painful for us to talk about our testimony, about all the things that I used to do, and yet God somehow has redeemed all of that sin. And we're praying all of this in the Lord's Prayer because key point number two, we would rather avoid sin than have to defeat it. That's just our human nature. We would rather avoid sin than have to defeat it. And if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we'll confess two things. Number one, we know that we don't have any power over sin. And number two, and this is a, this is a deep confession, that we enjoy the pleasure that sin brings. See, guys, pleasure, it, 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 don't get me wrong, pleasure, it's, it's not a problem until it becomes an idol. And then the idol starts to control us. That, that's when it becomes a problem. But key point number three, pleasure is the reason that sin is uncontrollable. Pleasure is the reason that sin is uncontrollable. We enjoy the feeling that sin brings. If we didn't, we wouldn't sin. But the reason sin is so powerful is that we can't control the pleasure that it brings, the temporary pleasure, I should say. Now, pleasure takes many, many forms, doesn't it? We all have our own idols. So verse 13 within the Lord's Prayer, what it is, it's another plea for God to provide through his power, what we and ourselves do not have and by ourselves cannot do. And yet at the same time, God is going to use these tests to build spiritual muscle so that we can overcome the next test. So a a paraphrase of verse 13 could be this, Lord, don't ever lead me into a trial that will present such a temptation that I will not be able to resist it. And by the way, God promises a way out. God promises a way out. We see this all over scripture. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist writes, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Why do we treasure God's word? Once again, it does something to us. 
Our best weapon against temptation of sin is experiencing the Word of God. Jesus taught us this with His temptations with Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, no temptation, no parosmos, no means no. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. So pause for one second. Guys, don't believe the lie that you're the only one struggling with X, Y, and Z. Don't believe the lie that you're the only one in the world that struggles with a particular sin because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that is not true. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And that's how, by the way, that's how uh, we become isolated and alone because we think nobody understands our sins. Why is it a lie? Paul continues here. He says, because God is faithful. God is faithful. He, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. God says that, he's, that you will bear it. You're not going to be crushed by it. Key point number four. We have to endure the temptation to pass the test. We have to endure the temptation to pass the test. There is a struggle there. So back to verse 13. Do not bring us into temptation. We don't want anything to do with that. Deliver us from the evil one. So deliver us here. It could mean two things. Really, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. What we're praying here is uh, in delivering us. Lord, please spare us from. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through this. Spare me from this. So that's, that's an offensive maneuver. And then at the same time, there's a defensive maneuver. This is when we're in the thick of the battle. Preserve us against. Preserve me against the temptation itself. And then finally, verse 13. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Your translation may say either evil or evil one. This refers to Satan and his demons. Um, now, your, your translation may also say this in verse 13. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me ask you, why is this sentence in some English translations and not in others? Well, some scholars think that a, a Jewish scribe added this sentence because it was customary among the Jews to, to basically conclude their prayers this way with uh, a doxology. Uh, doxology is just a form of praise. So let me ask you, does that pose a problem? Does this mean that our Bibles are not inerrant? Is this an error? Because it's in some translations and it's not in others. Does this not mean that every word is from God in Scripture? I mean, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all Scripture, all means all, is inspired by God. So is that not true? Is there a problem with the reliability of our 
of our Bibles? Well, not at all. Let me give you two reasons. Number one, the world tends to focus on all on the manuscripts that don't have certain things in them. But the other side of that coin is, well, what about all the other manuscripts that do? I mean, there, there are 5,600 ancient manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. We've got nearly 10,000 Latin manuscripts. We've got another 9,300 early ancient versions. That's over 25,000 copies. 25,000. No other ancient document even comes close to that. In second place is this guy right here. The Iliad by Homer. It's an amazing, fascinating read if you want to go to sleep, right? They only have 643 partial manuscripts of this guy here. So let me ask you, if there's 643 partial uh, manuscripts to establish an ancient text, well, what about 25,000? And then not only that, but in 1947, a little boy who lived in Palestine, he was messing around, he throws a rock into a cave, goes into the cave to find out what happened, and lo and behold, they found 100,000 different fragments of ancient text. They put these documents back together, and they have, uh, they, it's known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Many of these manuscripts were from the Old Testament. They actually found a copy of Isaiah that was a thousand years older than the previous um, manuscript. So when people ask you about all the errors and all the contradictions in the Bible, our response is, well, which ones? If, if they point to today's text, now you know. So you can share the truth um, about this within God's word. I mean, think about it. If God has gone through the trouble of writing his word down through chosen uh, human instruments, then he's going to preserve his word. It's called the doctrine of preservation. Now, the second reason there's no problem with the reliability of the Bible, especially with this verse, is, is that there's nothing theologically incorrect about the wording in, in this doxology. So let's look at it again. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the reason there's no problem with that is because these very words also come from Scripture. Let me show you where they come from. This is so cool. First Chronicles 29, verse 11. See if you can pick out the words that, that's in the Lord's Prayer here. Yours, Lord, is the, the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the splendor, and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on the earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are, you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you. You are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give thanks and we praise your glorious name. So with that, we close with our study on the Lord's Prayer. It's important to note here that this model um, of prayer is just like our model. Jesus is our model for everything, including temptation. 
If we've read through the Gospels, we know that Jesus was always in conflict uh, with Satan. He was always in conflict with people, and yet he never sinned. And not only was Jesus tempted in every way, but he was also tempted to the absolute highest level of that temptation. So think of, of temptation levels on a scale from one to 10. So one, not that big of a deal, 10, impossible to overcome. Jesus never gave into temptation, not once. So as the son of man... Jesus, as a human being, Jesus did what Adam could not do. He did what we cannot do. Jesus fulfilled every law. So as each test, as each temptation presented itself, it had to become more powerful and more seductive than the previous one. So this continued throughout Jesus' life until all temptation uh, reached a level 10. And we see the culmination of level 10 really inside the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me show you this. Matthew 26, 39. Going a little farther, Jesus fell face down and he prayed. He said, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, let this trial pass from me. I don't want to do this. Is there another way? That was Jesus' prayer. I don't want to do this. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. But I will. If this, is, if this is the plan, I'm going to do it. So as the son of man, once again, Jesus as a human being, Jesus was praying that the father would remove all the suffering that he was about to encounter. So Jesus' temptation at that moment was to quit. Jesus' test was to step out beyond the Father's covering so that he wouldn't have to, to face all the, the pain and the agony. Verse 42, again a second time, Jesus went away. He prayed, my Father, if this, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So the prayer, the second prayer here from Jesus, it's not really a different one. From the first one, he's not begging the father to make his life easier because he realizes now his father said no. His father said no. So in response, Jesus prays for his father's will to be done. Now, you and I, we may give in to temptation on that back to that scale around three or four, Right? And we may stay there for a really long time. We may stay there for years or decades without ever passing through that threshold of temptation. Once again, we cannot go around the temptations. We have to go through it. So it is God's will that we experience the total weight, the full weight of these temptations, of these tests as we walk through them. So just as, as Jesus clung to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, we too, guys, we are to cling to Christ as we go through our test as well. You can think of it as an athlete. As an athlete gets stronger here, more weights must be, must be added slowly to his workout routine. Why? So he can become an even better athlete. The same thing applies to us spiritually. 
to build spiritual muscle. We got to get our eyes off the temptation, back onto our Savior, and we have to embrace the test. We got to embrace the temptations instead of trying to run around them. Father in heaven, thank you for teaching us really a, a surface level view of temptation. You have so much more to say and there's, there's just not enough time to go through it all. But Lord God, I, I, I pray that you have met us where we are and, and that as we, we leave here today and we get on with our week tomorrow and all the people that we meet and the things that we do and whether it's work or hobbies or going to the grocery store, or visiting the doctor, whatever it may be, that, we, that we, we are listening to you. That we can understand that, that the things that maybe some of us are going through right now, the things that we don't want to be in in the middle of, and that maybe we've been begging for weeks, months, and years for you to take away this kind of pain. Maybe today, Lord, we can see it differently instead of trying to go around it that we'll stop and pause and pray and and ask that you'll walk through the whole thing with us. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your promise that you will never abandon us in our temptation. And Lord, I pray that as we look in our past and we see where we have fallen and the things that do trip us up into temptation, that you will redeem those things. You're in the business of redemption, and and Lord, that maybe we can identify with someone who is struggling with that thing, that same thing that that we used to struggle with, but not as much anymore, that you would redeem that sin in our lives and allow us to minister to that person that you've got in front of us as we share Jesus day by day this week. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.